Welcome to the One Shot Test Kitchen. Today's episode, Fiasco. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 13.2 of the One Shot Test Kitchen, where we try out and review tabletop RPGs. I'm April Lynn, and today, as always, I am joined by my favorite co-hosts, Samara and Mike. Oh, thanks. Hi. Hello. <laughs> they're they're not acknowledging that they're my only co-hosts, but they're still my favorite. Wow. Okay. Well, now I feel shitty. <laughs> like yeah. it was. It, I felt really special for like yeah. two Even seconds. Even if. You're having a moment, and then, <laughs> and yeah. then wow, okay, cool, and, and, I, okay. and I ruined it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What are we here to talk about today, April Lynn? Uh, we're here to talk about fiascos, which I just created one. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> but specifically, we're here to talk about the fiasco that we recorded earlier this week. Yeah, let's start with just our initial thoughts overall about the game. Mm. Um, Samara, let's start with you as your first time play of fiasco. What did you think? Mm, I. Overall, I enjoyed it. I thought for a storytelling led, uh, like a story led RPG, I liked how the mechanics really helped dictate that story in a certain way. Um, still had the kind of open scene issue that I'm sure we'll get into later, but um, mm-hmm. that that we highlighted in the one that we played a couple weeks ago because it's before the world ends. But overall, I felt like. Uh, it was a fun world to get into. I liked the module. I liked how we were the types of characters that weren't traditionally the ones that you would play if you were playing a kind of Cthulhu horror game. Um, you know, we weren't investigators specifically doing that, um, but I still felt like a part of that world. So, and you know, I always love an excuse to say, well, the game made me play an idiot. I didn't pick <laughs> to play an idiot by choice. <laughs> yeah, you never do. No, never, never. That's not, that's not my deal. <laughs> you weren't really an idiot. Although I will say that you dragging a corpse into uh Kalen's front yard as as if that would be enough to frame him. Yep. I, I mean it worked, right? But that was that was pretty amazing. I made some some choices from a panicked state. I did feel <laughs> like Lindsay Winsleydale was not as I don't think that she I think she sounded dumb, but I think that at least the way that I was thinking of her was that like that was part of her charlatan act. So, yeah, she wasn't a total. I mean, she couldn't be as successful at some of the things she was if she was a total idiot. No, I I really liked your character. Uh, (laughs) What about you, Mike? What did you think? You've played this before, as we've said. So, yeah, uh, I played it quite a few times. In in some ways, it was exactly what I was expected. And in some ways, it was like it kind of, you know, helped consolidate a lot of my thoughts about the game in general. Uh, I mean, aside from what we said about the setting and all that kind of stuff, which was kind of unique, I came away thinking that this system feels slightly archaic in a way, and, you know, in a way that we'll get into in a little bit later, but, like, I think it is bogged down by its mechanics to some degree. It's not necessarily that they, that the system prevents storytelling as it does kind of constrain it in a way that, or, or does not guide it in a way that I think would have benefit the overall narrative better. Fiasco, in in some respects, is fiasco. 
Um, it is what it's going to be. You know, I think we told a good story with it. I just think that, again, having played it now half a dozen times over the course of my gameplay and career, it's, uh, you see the seams a little bit more. Yeah, so while I don't have that experience, um, I will say that I think that choosing to play it as three players instead of recruiting a fourth player, um, but I think that it would have been more interesting had we had that fourth player to really um, add more opportunities for chaos and Mm -hmm. betrayal and backstabbing and just having a deeper, a bigger web of uh, relationships, I think, would have made for a more interesting fiasco yeah uh but we managed we managed to make do especially with um throwing in a few npcs there for flavor yeah and i i i'll be interested to hear how you think that it's archaic mike Mm -hmm. uh because i have a feeling that i'm going to push back on that a little bit um but stay tuned for drama after the break Yes, stay tuned for drama <laughs> after the break. We're not actually taking a break yet. We are just going to move into our rubric. Every episode, as we always do, we take a rubric uh, of five traits that we look at in the games that we play. And the first one is the rule book. Now, I know, I don't think, Samara, you really looked much at the rule book, did you? Oh, you did? Yeah. Okay, then we can talk about the rule book. I thought it was okay. Like the voice that they use is fun and cute and fine. I felt like it was a little bit as somebody who has a hard time with concise and direct. I could see it just like felt a little bit spirally and they, you know, did say, okay, well, you know, cut to here if you want the cheat sheet and this and that. But it was just like, I think I wanted up front a better snapshot about what to expect. And having even gone through the rule book and reading through the playset, you guys noticed how confused I was at the beginning with some of the dice stuff and some of the the creation stuff and how you use those dice to create in the beginning. It would have been nice if it was a little bit more clear. The 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 flavor of the voice that they were writing the instructions in was fun and gave you a sense for kind of the tone of what you should be bringing into the game. So that was fun, you know, and they go in depth. So I did feel like there was a lot of information in there to like soak in, but that it was hard to reference and it was hard to get a snapshot of like what exactly to expect. Yeah, I would agree with you on that. I ended up watching a video, the tabletop video that Will Wheaton and uh, and co did and I feel like that gave me a much better idea of how gameplay would work and the structure of the game. And then I was able to go in and read the rulebook, which honestly, I've started doing that with a lot of games. So um, that also just speaks to the way I learn now, mm-hmm. where seeing the example is way more helpful than trying to digest a explanation of a brand new system. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do agree it would have been really helpful to have kind of like a overview, more of an overview, and then drilling down into those details a little bit more than it did. Yeah, the structure of the book is just like a little bit weird, but, you know. I, I mean, I'd also say that there's a little bit of a disconnect between the Fiasco core rulebook and the the playset we were using, mm. like that kind of made 
doing it differently. So I think Fiasco, as it was originally designed, like they do this in the rule book, they will put in like movie quotes from like Burn After Reading or LA Confidential or something like the stuff that it's like really drawing its uh, inspiration from. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's trying to set that particular tone. Um, I think though the issue comes when you have these like Fiasco is kind of victim of its own success in that way. And that there are so many of these rule books out there going, you know, everything we, we did from like, you know, depression era England to like far flung future, you know, alien stuff where you're trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. I, I think it can work. I think it just makes it harder because the game deals in very cinematic tropes and, you know, I don't think I've ever seen a depression era England caper movie <laughs> or, or not many no, of them. But I think that that could have worked. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not saying that it didn't work. I'm saying that like making the transition from what the, from how the voice of the core rule book to the actual gameplay of something entirely different is a little bit jarring. So you need to be prepared for it if you're prepping with it. I guess that makes sense. Uh, since I chose the place that I already had kind of a structure in my mind of how that world translated into heist caper mm. film. So I think I had a little advantage there and that I already, in fact, it didn't quite meet my expectations in that regard, but the second half, the second act definitely did. I mean, we had an unexpected murder. We had, we dragged corpses. We stole a thing from a guy that we, that felt very, like when I think fiasco, yeah, that's what I think of is those sorts of things. But it took some build up to get there. Yeah, I, I I definitely agree. I mean, I would say almost it took too long to get there, but it did get mm-hmm. there. And I think a lot of it is just because, like, when you're dealing with a setting that is like almost a separate character, like you know, uh, the fourth character was this setting of Depression Era England. Mm-hmm. You have to establish that as well, and. You know, whereas if it's small town USA, you have to do very little uh, to do it that way. It almost needed an extra act at the beginning, like a prelude act to set that second character, quote unquote, or fourth character, quote unquote, before we delved into the world. I mean, and we did that to some degree when, you know, when you read the description of the world, it's very evocative in that way. But at the same time, it was like, that was like a two paragraphs. I mean, it wasn't really it playing in that world. It wasn't really feeling out that world. It was kind of like, okay, you're here now. So this starts to transition a little bit into mechanics. And so the last thing I'll say on rule books is that I do think, Mike, to your point, something like the simplicity of like um, when we played Rises, that mm. that rule system that recognized that it was a rule system that was going to be used for a million different types of settings. 100%. Whereas I think Fiasco, when originally created, had no sense of where it could run off to. And so that rule book was created kind of specifically with the initial source material, like Burn After Reading like in Fargo, like you were saying, um, and that the rules may be would have been a little bit more focused on the mechanics and the clarity of that if they had a sense of. And maybe this is because of the nature of like us playing with the first generation of rules or something. I don't know. But to mechanics uh, and what we're talking about in the world building and stuff, I do wonder if I know that 
we spent some time talking about character building in that first round of dice that we assigned off mic. Some of it, it made it into the pod and we sort of got like we like interrupted ourselves and then like went back into it for recording. And I wonder if that is the stage where players around the table are really actually fleshing out what that world is, how those characters are to each other that, OK, we talked about the Kit Kat Club, but we could have talked about even if they weren't official locations, we would have talked a little bit more about that world and how we would all interact together. And I think because we maybe split that up and did some of it here, some of it there, we lost maybe some of our momentum to do some of that establishing shot conversation. Well, I feel like didn't Mike kind of halt us and say, no, let's not dig too deep into that stuff and just do it in the game. But the fact is, it wasn't in the game. I said, let's do it on the pod. Like, because okay. I, I, I like. Well, even when we started talking about like, you know, OK, so what is, what is this book that we're looking for? And which which I agree that finding that out in the game was good. But I felt maybe I misinterpreted the pressure to let's start playing the game now instead of spending too much time in the world ahead of time. I think we're kind of saying the same thing in that, like. I think the world building we did, and I, I'll just straight straight up say this is not the one that edits it. Nearly all of that is in the main pod uh, because I think it is important um, uh, for a listening and ex- you know experiential thing. But it's not strictly gameplay. Like the game does not tell you to do this. Leave your review on this episode to tell us if Mike's decisions as an editor were actually the right choices. <laughs> <laughs> Send your criticism. I will accept none of it. <laughs> It's what the circular file under the desk is for. <laughs> um, but 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 I think like to your point, like we did need to dwell, dwell in that world, and the game just basically starts after we set, uh, you know, relationships, needs, etc. Um, I think we needed to like sit down, like okay, given the setting we're in, what how, like let's talk about this more. Like we can't discover it all. I think we discovered a lot along the way, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's partially what the game is intended to be but i think in that particular playset, i think we needed to dwell on it a little bit more before we got into it yeah and that that is one thing that i wanted to say kind of going back to rulebook a little bit that the playset we were working with i thought was because it was based on another campaign setting um i mm. think that that was just kind of a not necessarily a fault of the playset so much as a fault of mine for thinking we'll just be able to jump right in it'll be fine Whereas maybe I should have, you know, pulled up some of the information from the campaign setting it was built on. But as a standalone, it would have been nice to have a little bit more than a half page, like a call, single column of here are some reference points at the very end. Like those were useful, mm. uh, but there weren't enough of them. Yeah, totally. I, th- I think the playbook has like, like check out the movies that we used to inspire this. I think From Hell was one of them or something like that. The, um, yeah, well, I didn't have time to watch any movies, but watching some movies, I think um, the ninth ninth gate. Maybe that was probably another one which I have seen, but it's been a long time. But yeah, even just like it had a list of you know what is a the sh- shoe stone yeah. and what is the the open air book market, which neither one of those actually played into the game we played. It had a, it had a reference of what is the king in yellow. Um, so having more of a glossary of here are some terms that could be useful in your game. And here are some locations that you might not know about. Yeah. I mean, it does, I don't want to say it requires, but like it benefits from having a little bit of knowledge of the genre um, or the oeuvre. What the, what's the word I'm thinking? The egg. 
No, the, <laughs> the I don't know. But I, know <laughs> I know, I know what you're talking about. I'm just feeding the egg. It. Yeah, and I think we all had that. But even so, like even just my struggles to come up with a name of a book that wasn't the Necronomicon. Right. I mean, Mike had to go into his deep cut Hearthstone references just to give us a. <laughs> yeah, if you if you spotted the Hearthstone reference when I said Yog Saron, uh, you get a cookie. You may be a nerd. <laughs> you may um, be a nerd. Okay, so um. Digging into mechanics a little bit more, I want to talk about something that I find challenging with some of these scene storytelling games. And this has popped up in a number of them. And I don't know if this is me coming from like a performer world or what, but I want a game. So anybody listening, if you know it, message us and I'll play this. That does give me a stronger game mechanic that guides some of these scenes. I am starting to get, maybe it's because we're playing so many of them, but I'm starting to feel a little bit burnt by you set up the scene. You tell us what your characters do. And it's like, yeah, okay, cool. Like I can be like, even the most annoying improv teams still go to the audience and say, give me a word. And they go Mm. off of that. And so like, can the game like when we did the twists or the turns or whatever that are, you know, midway through the game, like I found that much more interesting because I was like, OK, well, now I got to figure out how to incorporate a murder and how to incorporate, you know, the, you know, somebody, something that was stolen is stolen back or something like that. Speaking of which. So what was this thing that was in the desk? Oh, the Inverclyde affair or the Inverclyde account. We never established that. I didn't know if Samara had an idea in her head of what it was. I had no fucking you idea just what made it up was. The name no, was I knew it. that Mike had an idea and I was like, great, oh. he could be the one that describes this because I have no okay. idea what it was. And I was like, I really hope the scenes don't play out where I'm the one who has to define this. <laughs> but I mean, I think this is kind of a perfect encapsulation of what you were talking about. Like, I like I pulled that out of uh, thin air because I like the word Inverclyde. Um <laughs> It's apparently a name of a town in northern England uh, that I, I it's just stuck in my brain for some reason. Sounds very German. I always thought it sounded vaguely Scottish. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways. Well, anyway. Um, it's the inverse of a Clydesdale. <laughs> no, no, but it is a perfect encapsulation of what we're talking about because like, okay, yeah, establish, but like a desk with a hidden compartment. Okay, that begs the question, what's in the hidden compartment? Mm-hmm. We got to work this out somehow and like try to have it, you know, be what it's going to be. And like, there's no guidance for that. Like, I think. And I don't need a script like that. That actually is more than some of them to like, you know, we had a banter and had a scene and 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 found tension around a hidden dust name. It was like, oh, OK. And you got to establish that it was like dirt that you had on me. That's still more than some of the scenes where it was just like. I guess I'm just mm. going to meet you at the tea house and give an update. And I think for a game that is built on heist things going wrong, you know, narrative action moving forward, I'm interested in games and I haven't seen and, and I feel like this is something genre game type that is happening a lot that I'm not seeing things in in, in these scenes either giving me like, 
you set up the scene and then I I'd like they try to do it with the resolution dice of like it works out for you and it doesn't. And I want to talk about the resolution dice, too, as a mechanic issue separately, <laughs> but I don't want to go down that path yet. But like I just need there are lots of mechanics to talk about here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I don't need a script, but I do want like an Iron Chef ingredient that I have yes. to work mm-hmm. with. And I feel like a lot of these games think that, well, the character is enough and I don't know if I'm just getting old and boring or what, but I'm like, it's not enough for me to just play pretend as this character. Like, I do that on Thursdays when I babysit five-year-olds. Like, I can, you know, if this is going to be a game, then give me something, whether or not it's an obstacle we have to face or it's an unexpected thing um, to help drive the story forward. I mean, I agree. I, I 100% agree. It's, I think this game attempts to do that, but I think uh, it very much depends on the quality of the items and needs and locations in the playbook. Again, the antique desk, the hidden compartment is missing a very big part of like, what is the conflict then? Like, what is the conflict about this? It is, is it what's hidden? Is it that there is something hidden? Is it the desk itself? Like, some of the core rule books actually more specifically say, uh, you know, it is this particular machine part of this thing that, you know, blah, 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 that the, the conflict can flow around. Whereas when you're just establishing, then you just establish and it's a tone piece as opposed to a conflict piece. Yeah, well, I, w- I will say, so that's something else about the rule book. We're going back to the rule book. Um, so the rule book actually has sections on things to look for when you're establishing your object, your needs, your locations. And it's something that I kind of glossed over as I read, led us through the game because I didn't want to spend a lot of time on that because I knew we had a game to get through. The, the rulebook does give guidance for, okay, how to make sure that your object is going to be something that drives the story, how to make sure that you have good needs, good locations. And it was something that I appreciated as I skimmed through it, that if I sat down with a t- around this table with some friends and I wasn't trying to get through a game in, you know, a podcast length of time, that there was guidance for, okay, how do you set the stage for your game and make sure that all the elements you have put into place are actually going to feature in your game? How do you make sure that there's tension right off the bat? Where I come from... From, again, like a performer standpoint and somebody that works in a lot of, you know, with writers and stuff like that, it's like, well, that's not much of a game. Like, if I have to read a rule book that's like, here's how you write a compelling scene or ways to set up a scene to be interesting, that's still putting... That's not the game. The game itself is not giving me elements to navigate and deal with and 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 trusting that the tension can come from putting that object there. And I also think that mechanically, like, how could you, I guess you could, but it's less interesting to me when I've got, in our game, we had 12 dice to establish details. How am I not going to spend six of those on the character relationships? They feel like the most important ones. Arguably, you could not, but then you're only left with so many other things. So it also felt like weirdly unbalanced by our choice and the choices we made where we assign the dice. Yeah, and and this kind of gets into some things that uh I was kind of alluding to when I said it was archaic. I want to I want to refer a little bit to another game we played last shooting because I think last shooting has a similar back and forth dynamic there are needs and there are objects 
but last shooting forces you to destroy them in a scene. Like it forces you to actually put them into conflict, which fiasco does not do. Um, and you know, I'm not blaming fiasco for this. Like they, you know, they blazed the trail for this kind of like last shooting would not exist if it were not fiasco. I Mm -hmm, don't think mm -hmm. that particular difference allows a lot more conflict and play to get in instead of just purely establishing what's going on. And just something that you have to incorporate into that scene, right? Like, yes, I have to deal with why I don't have thrusters anymore and why this or that. Even if you just like gave me something evocative, like you have to let's take the hat scene, right? Like that could have been I could have like gotten a prompt that was like, you have to incorporate like feathers and something. Somebody has to leave like dissatisfied or there's got to be an argument or something like that. And you can still create the scene and everything it doesn't feel like a script but it gives it gives you something to hold on to or like a place to go or a thing that you're working on together to incorporate to be like oh who's going to define feathers first and i will say that the second half of the game when it does the the turn or the twist or whatever it's called the uh, tilt. tilt there we go i knew it was a t word <laughs> um, that to me felt like it satisfied that need to be like, okay, great. Now we know we've got something to work towards that will drive these scenes in a different way that I felt like the first half of the game didn't have too much. I mean, I agree, but also I think, I don't even think the last half of the, I mean, we, we got to it, but I mean, this is a thing that happens a lot of other fiasco games that I played. It takes a long time to get to the climax. Like, you know, and I think the climax of our particular thing was probably the death of uh, uh, the American schlub. I can't Mark. remember. The, Mark Johnson? Mark Johnson. Yeah. Johnson. The death of him and you two like, oh, God, what are we doing? Oh, God, like, you know, very, you know, arsenic and old lace kind of feel to it. Mm-hmm. But even in that scene, we went from, oh, he's drunk. Oh, he's dead. Oh, he's a monster. Oh, we got to get rid of this. Oh, we got to like, you know, like it seemed like it was a huge cavalcade of things that just happened because like, okay, like let's push this into a fiasco as opposed to, you know, we came at it naturally. At least that was my read on it when on the outside. I know you guys are in the in the the midst of it. I mean, I think that's a lot of the game. What I felt like the in the end, my feeling of like, oh, okay. So I think maybe the point of the game that I didn't get until that second half was that there was room and if not a bit of a demand for players to be more aggressive in that defining of the world and and and, and the narrative itself, right? So me coming to you, April, and saying, I've got good news, bad news, I mean, like, I'm just going to tell you where this book is and I'm going to tell you who has it and I'm going to I'm going to decide, you know, which way this is going. That is the game, basically. And for me, maybe it's because I've just played like too much D&D or something like that. But it's like, well, I mean, that to me at the end of the day just feels like, well, why didn't I just like get drunk and bullshit with actor friends about like what kind of caper movie we would make? Like, why did I need a game to like get there if at the end of the day i just had to come up with that stuff myself oh i have an answer for that because we can't all have actor friends (laughs) nobody (laughs) honestly we all shouldn't because (laughs) not wrong you guys can barely deal with the one you have friends are delightful (laughs) yes i mean i don't want to knock actors as a as a whole here but like and i do 
I do, wholeheartedly, I do. <laughs> okay. Says the actor in the room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, obviously. A lot of self-hate here. No, but you I mean you get what I'm saying is is that it, it at the end of the day it was like, oh, okay. So and and so many of these games obviously are just about like what we come up with and put in there. And and I guess we we this is starting to get a little bit into narrative and agency. It is just tricky because I still want to I don't want to feel tricked into I just I want to feel in better partnership with a game when we're building worlds and telling stories. And a lot of times when these games set up these scene this way, I just feel like I'm like, well, what did you give me besides a setting? And then like halfway through some twists and turns I had to deal with like that. That was the like semi disappointment for me, not to say that I didn't have a blast and not to say that I didn't really enjoy the story we told. But if I'm really digging into what my kind of critique of the mechanics themselves were is I was like, I didn't really feel like we were in partnership. I felt like I showed up and did a lot of work fiasco. But so here's the pushback on that. How do you do that in a way that you don't go overboard with rules? Because that's one of the dangers I see in games like this is that you just create this complicated structure that Quite honestly, I don't have the energy or time or desire to learn. I want something that's going to be, I want something that's going to be bare bones structure to let me have fun and play rather than have to read 150 pages and understand how the, the structure of this game before I can play it. The, the thing that was coming to my mind as you were saying that, April Lynn, was Golden Sky Stories. Because that was entirely prescriptive. Like, this is scene one, it ends at this moment, blah, 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 blah. And, like, you're right. Like, and that was a long read on a lot of settings and a lot of, like, you know, you have to, like, read the story before you role play. And it wasn't satisfying. No, and it didn't work. I mean, I think in the end. I I think Fiasco goes too much in the, not too much in the opposite direction, but, like, what's the phrase we use? The Goldilocks paradox, where it's just, like... Not too much, not too little, but I think this was too, this is a little too on one end of the bell curve. Yeah. I mean, if I had to do my, if I had to, (laughs) I'm going to do the thing that I do with every game, which is rewrite the rules if I was going to play it again. And if I had to change Fiasco's rule set to, to meet more of this like Goldilocks paradox, I would take the dice mechanic where you assign a dice to determine which way something goes. You have all these beautiful tables that they've created. Before you do a scene, roll two dice, and now you have to incorporate a new need and or a new object or a new something like that. Like, that's all That's all I'm really asking for a little bit more. That And it's still randomized, and it's still, but it's still giving me power to, like, pick within that table. But, yeah, just like a little... find it very funny that the D&D gamer wants the tables... <laughs> well, roll on. okay, because this game came with pages of tables, but like no, if it wasn't, I, I could have been a deck completely of cards. Agree. It just made me laugh. Well, yeah, I mean, I of think course. that that is actually a really good solution for it because having that roll a die, get an extra element to add, would drive those scenes forward a little bit more and give just a tiny bit of structure to what are you doing on your turn. 
one thing I want to bring in is because I'm I haven't played it and I'm I, I hate that I haven't played it and we've referenced it a lot is the Quiet Year. Mm-hmm. That's what I was thinking. We're gonna make it happen. Uh, so right now I'm listening to the Adventure Zone and they're doing their setup stuff for their next season, which is called Ether Sea, and it's all the Quiet Year. And the thing that has struck me the most is that every not scene because they're not scenes really, but every turn introduces a conflict. Yes, and mm-hmm. like that is like okay. How does this resolve? And then you resolve it. Fiasco is just like, here is a situ, here is a uh, a setting. Do something with it. Yeah. There's a fine distinction there, but I think the quiet ear does it in a way where like you actually get to somewhere else on the other end of it. Whereas Fiasco, you don't always. Which again, a, a game that sits in that kind of quiet meditative space exploration has value and like arguably the space that we were given in Kisser Before the World Ends gave us a different kind of opportunity to breathe into those types of scenes. And I felt like we were actually we had less of a problem with that lack of direction with that game because of the nature of the tone and what it was asking you to explore. But Fiasco sort of, for me, set up this false dynamic where it was like a bunch of bumbling fools with high ambition and it's going to all go wrong. And then it's like the curtain came up and I was like, oh, yes, I have ambitions and a sister. <laughs> and poor impulse and, control. And no, yeah. imp- right, what are we doing? There's a desk. Where's the desk? And so I think it's because it set that expectation up for me that it was going to have that energy and that tension and mm-hmm. those conflicts. I mean, and also, like, at the end of it, speaking for Kalen, Kalen reached the end of that game pretty okay. Like, he really didn't, he wasn't really compromised in any way, where as the aftermath, I felt I was kind of making stuff up that kind of happened based on, like, ideas I had about the character, but it never been established. Like the fact that he was looking for this book was because he was like really low on money. Right. Like he was like, you know, this was his last, you know, there was an energy there, but that never saw expression in the actual scenes we were playing out. Mm-hmm. And I think that goes a little bit to April Lynn's point about the number of players too. Like, yes. And yeah. the characters that we established automatically you were screwed because it was from the beginning inherently two against one with the twin sisters VU. And I could have been a bigger backstabber, but even then, I think I made oh, the I'm choice. I'm so glad you weren't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I made the choice not to because like as I was in in the scenes and thinking about it and thinking like, well, I mean, this story has got to end and it's got to go somewhere. And that if I complicated it by being double crossed, like it didn't, that I was going to lose narrative momentum if I was a double crosser and I knew that I didn't have enough scenes to deal with that loss of momentum. And here I just thought you were my adoring uh, oh, I mean, baby sister. Obviously, I love you by five minutes. Thank you very much. But I, <laughs> you know, of course, I would never, I would never. You're amazing. You've, you've saved me so much, Sharshar. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take an ad break and then we will delve a little bit more into narrative. And now let's talk about narrative. Did we care? <laughs> Did we care? And the answer to that for me is I'm yes. I mean, pretty much the, the big thing that I cared about was, yeah, I guess I cared. I cared about the characters and the story. Um, and I felt very sad that it all came crumbling down for everyone at the end. I mean, I wish I cared more. I, I mean, I think I think the characters we made were fun little 
I don't want to say dolls because it's a negative connotation, but like they were like action figures that we were playing with on like in like the Castle Grayskull set or something like that. Um, yeah, there were elements to them that I think were just never. I would have cared more if they were there was more conflict that was overtly introduced. Like Kalen was never off his guard. I mean, or never like on his back heels, I mean, except maybe once when the the uh, the Inverclyde account uh, vanished from the desk. And even then he hit it and it's just like, he was always this kind of very, very confident, very, very like old English. Ah, my darling kind of shit. Like I was kind of weirdly basing him on like Obi-Wan Kenobi from the Clone Wars, uh, oddly enough, but like never phased, never like changed that way, which made me, made it hard for me to buy into the stakes for him. So I'm going to I'm going to use that to deeper dive into character, character choice, character development and how much in RPGs and it's a conversation we started to have at the end of the last game that I want to yep. surface here to kind of discuss and and tease out and talk about which is how much of that is because of the choice that you made with the character and that you yep. didn't give yourself flaws? Like at a certain point, like we fall into, I was saying that I fell into a very comfortable stereotype character that I often play, which is uh, somebody who stutters a lot and seems like an idiot. And like, that's just a character that I play easily. Male, female, doesn't matter. Just like, that's the person, the lovable fool. I I, I hope lovable. April Lynn told me I was her favorite co-host a little bit ago. So like, I think <laughs> I'm lovable. But, you know, Mike, you know, you, you go into certain stereotypes. April Lynn very comfortably goes into the straight man stereotype. One sidebar, I definitely want to play a game where we pick characters for each other or are forced yeah. somehow to play out of type. But even then, I think the challenge for players to get over is that then we have to very consciously make decisions that feel true to those characters and not what our ideal of those characters are or, you know, morally what we hope them to be. Like some of the stuff that you're flagging, Mike, comes from the nature of the characters we pick to play. Yeah. And and quickly, those decisions have to be made quickly. And I feel like maybe I need to take more improv classes in Nobody order to be able to, to no. do this well. Nobody needs to no. take more improv classes. Yeah, no, I've, I've been to an improv class. It was... Uh, All you do is the, say yes class and. was fine. Just the yes other and. improvers were uh, interesting. See, this is why you're not friends with actors. Just don't. They're terrible. We're going to get so many letters. Uh, my actor friends are going to disown me now. No, please. <laughs> Anybody who's actually an actor who's friends with actors knows exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> you just got 10 more letters. <laughs> um, I will say, though, I, I I don't I think you're right in that. Like, you know, you do have to make that is a kind of a snap decision, like based on the information you have. And like when you're dealing with a very kind of tropey setting, like you tend to gravitate to archetypes. But one thing that kind of I didn't I didn't really think of until this moment um, is that there was there's no push either from the game mechanics or from each other in this game to change who we are. Mm. Um, and one thing again, I'm going to reference last shooting again because like I had the distinct memory when I was playing that character. Weirdly enough, do you remember his name? Mm-mm. Cal Len. Wow, dude, what is your Kalen? Kalen? I know, that, it, 
That says something about me. I don't know what it does, but it's something. <laughs> um, I had a concept of who that character was. And then you got to decide what it would be. Like you would push against that in a certain way. Mm. And then I'd have to adapt what I thought of that character. Mm-hmm. He went in a very different way than when I first, like my first snap decision of who that character mm-hmm. was going to be. Whereas Kalen did not because there really was like, he didn't have, there was no mechanic and there was no narrative justification for someone to butt up against him in a way that would like Mm -hmm. alter that character and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Like, like say for example, like even the introduction of say he had a secret lover or something like that. Mm -hmm. He seems like a very bloodless person that would add an element of depth to it. That would just kind of like, Oh, no, no, no. There is a softer side to him than what we see or something like that. And Well, and I think that, you know, April Lynn, I feel like, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it, but I also feel like in that same vein, you were at a disadvantage because you had such a singular mode of like, well, I have to find this book to pay off these debts. And so there's not too much that like you were either confronted with beyond just the disappointment of like feeling like you weren't finding the lead and also being in a position where like, I think this is also challenging, right? Where your tension is you, you need to find this book so that you can sell it. But in these scenes, like, do you just go ahead and say, yep, I found it. Like, when do you decide that? And it wasn't until, and I could sense your being like, it kind of feels wrong for me to decide that I found it here, which is why I jumped in with Mark Johnson just to, you know, mm-hmm. give us something, give you something to push up against. So you didn't just feel like you were telling this story in a vacuum. Yeah, I agree with both of you. I feel like there wasn't much, there wasn't really much driving character development or giving us difficult choices to make other than ones we invented for ourselves. And then it became the issue of how much do we decide on behalf of the other players? Some of that's just a matter of learning to get comfortable with the idea of making a decision and everyone else has to do yes and. Mm -hmm. But some of it is absolutely that there were not mechanics. Like, you know, you mentioned um, Kiss Her Before the World Ends. That definitely made us answer questions that drove the way our characters were developed. Yeah, and even something like cyberpunk, we had very clear characters, and then we were put in a situation where then, okay, now I have to navigate that and think about who my character is and how they would actually deal with this, which is like, you know, I've got this relationship with an ex, and now we have this, like, banter situation that's causing a somewhat fight, because I'm just genuinely making choices from the perspective of what I think my character would. But when you're in a game where I'm not being met with, I have to come up with the challenges and I also have to come up with the character. It can be very difficult because you can just feel like you're in an echo chamber of development. And so it becomes a lot easier to be like, you know what? Kalen's just going to be cool. Like what's pushing up against him? Like he wants to be cool and is, uh, and honestly, even if he wasn't cool, he probably wouldn't tell anybody anyways. So Unless I'm really put in a corner, I'm I'm going to be pretty unflappable. I, I think also this gets a little bit into the conflict of um not the conflict, but the uh the type of the genre that Fiasco is working in mm. in in movies like like Fargo, in movies like Burn After Reading, the characters don't really go through an arc. 
they just kind of are the same people, just in more horrific situations <laughs> by the end. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. Like, they don't learn. They're oafs, largely. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes they're lovable oafs. Sometimes they're, you know, you know, Marge Gunderson from Fargo, who is, like, a, a tremendously sympathetic character. But she doesn't change that much. But, like, there is conflict that kind of brings that out. It uh, brings out that aspect of things that it could do, mm-hmm. um, even if we don't, we're not changed at the end of it. And I don't think that fiasco really does it. Yeah. I mean, if I have to go back and think about the story we told, would I watch that episode of television? Yeah. It'd be yeah. it'd be like it's it's a it's a great episode of a CW type charming bumbling Cthulhu-ish show. I don't know. But like it, you know, it it, it was fun. Charmed. It was fine. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was a great episode of Charmed. I mean, a little bit. I do feel like I got to a point, but I felt like the game did not give me any of this. I felt like this was all stuff that I was bringing. And, and maybe that's the point of the game is to get you to bring it there. But for me, I felt like Lindsay Winsleydale in having the moment of being like, oh, wait, this guy's into weird stuff. I don't think he's human, gave my character a chance to change or at least focus on something and develop and give her at least a conclusion that felt a little bit more interesting. But honestly, up until that point, I was sort of like, I don't know. It was I was about as invested in the narrative as I am in like a TikTok trend. It was like, it was fine. It was, you know, whatever. It's cute. But by the time it ended, like, it, I guess like the the conclusion bit of the game, that final act felt like it was doing an incredible amount of the heavy lifting for me to care about this narrative. Um, and it did a fine job, but I've been invested. I'll put it this way. I've been invested in other narratives we've done a lot more. I mean, I, I think in the, at the end of the day, like, this wasn't a piece of prestige television, like The <laughs> Sopranos or or uh, Sons of Anarchy or something like or that. Or The Clone Wars. Well, no, that's what I'm about to say. It is more <laughs> like The Clone Wars. Like, it is, like, it's fine. Yeah. Like, it, it, it has some interesting ideas in it. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, maybe not as well uh, executed as it needs to be. It's like... It's like one of the shitty episodes of Mandalorian. Yeah, I mean, it can be, it, it can be, it's like a, not a filler episode, but like a, it's fine. Yeah. You put it on, it's, it's, it's like, it's like Supernatural. You can sit down and watch like 12 episodes of Supernatural, learn absolutely nothing, but have an okay time. The characters were charming. Yeah. I'll watch Jensen Ackles be fucking Jensen Ackles. Sammy! Dean! Now, one thing that I need to point out, I think, is, you know, a reminder that we are working with the quote-unquote classic rule set of fiasco right Mm -hmm. none of us have actually read how it has been changed for this new newest edition Mm -hmm. so it's entirely possible that some of these things have been addressed yeah good point i think that fiasco in its historical context is incredibly important and i'm glad we played the original classic version because of everything it spawned yeah but yeah, given all, given a decade to learn from that, I'm really curious how like Bully Pulpit, Jason Morningstar have adapted that. I actually do want to read the new version. Yeah, I, I would really hate for people listening to think, to not even give it a chance based on our criticism, given that they have launched a new edition with, that's apparently now deck-driven as opposed to table-driven. So that makes that more sense sounds to me. like a big change. But I also do want to say like, 
just because we're criticizing it, like I think this thing was a product of its time, certainly, but I, this was a hundred percent worth playing. Oh like, yeah. Like play fiasco, play the original fiasco. I mean, you know, check out the new one. I haven't seen it obviously, but like fiasco is worth playing. Like, because it does like, I had a good time. Right. Which is, I do think that maybe something to add to our rubric, or maybe it just comes in the overview is a simple question of like, you know, we're really digging in on a lot of these games. And I think it's important to remember as we dig into these games that like a fundamental question is like, did we have fun playing? Like I had fun playing. I can criticize some of the details of the game, but like I had fun when I got to listen to Mike do whatever he was doing with Kalen Pope. I just, <laughs> whatever that was, I was here for it. And then like knowing if I was getting into a scene with you, you were going to be a fucking dick to me. And knowing that like I got to have like a fun time with April Linen scenes where she was going to look at me like I was an idiot, but like with love and like compassion and that I knew she was going to have my back. Sometimes her characters look at me like I'm an idiot that she can't wait to get rid of. And this time she looked at me like an idiot that she was like, I got to put up with you because you're my sister. And that like, it was fun. I, you know, I had a fun time with that. I'd also say like, maybe have an expansive definition of fun as well. Like, (laughs) and I say this not in the context of fiasco, but in the context of kiss her before the world ends. I wouldn't call that experience fun. Sure. But, (laughs) but, I would call that an experience worth having. Yes. Uh, yeah. And so we like fitting into a rubric like that. I mean, I think it's a little bit rough. It's like, well, it's maybe, maybe it's not fun, but th- cause I think there's a difference between would you recommend somebody to play this slash? Would you play it again? Which are very different. Like kisser before the world ends. You guys very clearly like, I do not want to play that again, but I think no, people I should said play I would it. play it again. Okay. Mike, very, very strong. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. No, no, no. <laughs> Mike hates feelings, which no surprise to any of us who have to put up with him as a friend. I drink so I don't have to feel feelings. <laughs> or the, or no, or more accurately, so I can feel all of them in like an hour and then never feel them. Again. And then pass out. Okay, mo- moving on. <laughs> uh, did we say everything that we needed to say about agency? I think we pretty much. Uh... Yeah, we talked about agency. I feel like. Yeah, I think so. Uh, and what about effectiveness of the game of getting th- its themes across? In particular, did we have a fiasco? Yeah. Despite the game we did. Yeah. I think. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, that kind of gets into what we were talking about. Like, we had to kind of force it. The game got us like 70% of the way there, maybe. Mm-hmm. That's probably uh, ambitious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe it is a little bit less than that. <laughs> but yeah, I think that we did. But I think that mainly that was Samara's doing in just being like, okay, this is how it's going to go down. I'm going to make it happen because clearly we're not getting there otherwise. Right. I think that it would have, if 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 the themes around it being a true fiasco and, you know, ambitious oafs, I think that there are some things in the mechanics that maybe they've done with the deck situation um, I do think a deck versus dice is more interesting, but um, like maybe they well, result- there are still dice involved. I don't know how the dice are involved, but I saw in the pictures there are dice still. Okay, well, you know, nerds, we love our dice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I will say, I think that the tilt helped a lot because mm-hmm. once the tilt happened, I honestly mm-hmm. th- thought that Caleb was going to be the one who got killed. I was too. I, when I said there was a murder, I'm like, oh, yeah, Kalen's dead. So let's get to that point. And then, no, 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 we're just going to kill a random American. Okay. Yeah, up up until the point that 
we talked about getting Mark Johnson drunk, I 100% thought that we were going to kill Kalen. And then once you did that, I'm like, no, we're going to drug him, but we're going to do it badly. <laughs> and he's going to die. And he didn't actually die. That was the interesting thing. Like, we think he died, but I don't think he died. No. Or did he, he, did became he die a, and come back to life? Or Yeah, he became he, he became a fish person. He became a fish man. Fish person, yeah. yeah. Scaly and, <laughs> and whatnot. Yeah, I, I there was a lot of stuff that I think, like, part of it, the issue was the communication stuff, but the game didn't facilitate that. Like, you know, okay, yeah, someone's going to die. April and you and I, like two thirds of us thought it was going to be Kalen and that didn't happen. And then wildcard um, Naomi showed up. Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> Samara threw a freaking spanner in all the works. But I mean, also like you know, stuff like the Inverclyde account, like, you know, I never got to elucidate what I thought that was. And I really wanted to know. Me too. I mean, I can tell you. I mean. Yeah. What was it in your mind? In my mind, the Inverclyde account was an account of all of the, uh, the rich people that Lindsay had built out of their money uh, and in some cases uh, led to an untimely death to, fin- to finance her hat habit. <laughs> you guys really clung to my hat habit. I made one choice at the beginning and you both presumed that I was in gross debt because of my hat habit. It wasn't an assumption. It was just a decision. <laughs> <laughs> and also, to be fair. You'd never said hat. I established that scene at the haberdasher. <laughs> That's true, you did. <laughs> so you it's just so decided. You were like, Lindsay Winsleydale, this bitch has killed old people for her hat habit. For her hats. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, that was another thing that, um, you know, you two were supposed to be charlatans. And I didn't see a lot of that happening. And that was my attempt to kind of bring that out. Like... You know, was the Inverclyde account? Yeah, it's the Inverclyde account. Like you know, it's it it brought together the charlatan thing and the the hidden compartment of the desk thing. Mm. Um, mm. and instead of like actually being able to leverage it, just became this amorphous MacGuffin that we just never really got to to deal with. Wow, that's on me. No, I don't think it's on you. I, I it's on the game. I mean, I think to some degree. Fiasco. Fiasco. We were a fiasco playing fiasco. (laughs) Well, I would play again for sure. And I would be very curious about the new rule set. Yeah. That is exactly my feelings on it as well. I've played this game a lot. I will play more of it. I'm certain of it. I will probably get suckered into playing more of it. Wow. uh, By friends who like it. I don't I didn't dislike it. I had fun. Um, but there are so many games out there that I want to try that this would probably not make it to the top of the list Yeah. if I had to choose a game. Oh, yeah. It's like, yeah, no, yeah, I'm going to watch that Netflix show. Yeah. At some point, probably. Yeah, it's but, it's yeah. like number 11 in my queue. Yeah. Uh, but to, to your point that you've made several times, it's a classic. It yeah. is responsible for a lot of games that would never have been made if it didn't exist. Mm-hmm. And it's a good old standby for we need a structure for a game. Let's pull out Fiasco. Mm-hmm. Add a playset, and you've got a game night. Mm-hmm. I, I will say, in my group of friends, it is the game people want to play when we get together. If it's not like a D&D campaign that we're a part of. Yeah, it is It is 100% like, let's pick, I want to play more Fiasco. So why uh, is that? That's a good question. I don't know. I mean... I would guess that it's um, it's di- when people I think n- normies think of uh, like 
tabletop role-playing games, they think, you know, or I'm a dwarf, like, you know, that kind of thing. And like tables and dice rolling and Warhammer and like, you know, like range penalties. I think the fact that like, oh, no, no, no. It's like that movie I've seen like a hundred times in love. And mm. I can actually make that. Yeah. Like, that is something a little bit more relatable to them. So um, Fiasco is like their gateway in DRPG. Oh, 100%. Um, there's some people who uh, I'm hoping will be on the next episode, uh, the next game we play. One of my friends, she adores Fiasco. Mm-hmm. Like, loves that game. But she doesn't really play in too much else. Um, I think she might be in a D&D game. But, like, when we play, that's what she wants to play. Well, and to your point, the, I felt like even on the Will Wheaton pod that they played their like Studio Fifty Four, uh, New York nineteen seventies one that it had that feel of people who very much just wanted to play in that genre and play out a movie from that era, and so I think a lot of the success and probably the popularity of it comes from groups of friends who just like love certain genres and want a structure to like play in that movie genre. And also those people in that video, they're not nerds except for Will Wheaton. They're actors. Mm-hmm. They want to act. Oh yeah. <laughs> they want, they want to be in that. Oh yeah. You could so. definitely tell. <laughs> That's why they were so much. We're not here to review me. that podcast. because <laughs> If we were, there'd be some anyways. Uh, love you. Will Wheaton. <laughs> okay so is that it have we uh reviewed fiasco i think we've we reviewed fiasco i think we get we get our merit badge for fiasco okay cool well any closing thoughts before i wrap us up uh the only thing i'd say is just like you know i think that like we've gone a lot into the weeds here and we may have come off more negative than i think we're intending to or i did at least i'm not gonna speak for anybody else play fiasco it is an experience worth having it is a fun and good time um, I think that like our criticism criticism just comes from going real deep into the nuance and we're know, nerds. We're nerds. <laughs> yes, this is a more succinct way to put it. <laughs> okay. Well, on that note, uh, that's that. And if you have your own big opinions to share, you can reach us via email at ostkpodcast at gmail dot com. You can tweet us on Twitter at ostkpodcast. Or you can search for One Shot Test Kitchen on Facebook. And don't forget that if you'd like to help support us and get exclusive behind-the-scenes content, you can do so by signing up for a Patreon at patreon.com slash ostkpodcast. Uh, You can also support us by dropping a review on your podcast service of choice. Thanks for listening, and be sure to check us out next time. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Bye.